0: This Torah class is brought to you by Torahanytime.com. Hey, okay, and we're on. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah anytime viewers tonight. We are learning le le Matui Khaskal Bantila. And we are continuing on our subject on the thirteen principles of faith. Now, last week when we started the first uh the first in the series, we spoke about the idea of how important this series is and how important well, I shouldn't say how important these series, how important these principles are. It doesn't matter whoever you listen to on these series, it's just important. Uh and Today, so I got a few questions follow up to this. I wanted to clarify something because we mentioned uh, we mentioned last week that somebody who does not believe that it's not uh, you know uh, go with these thirteen principles of faith, that person has no share in the world to come. So I had a few questions that follow up, like what's the difference between karet and no share in the world to come? Different questions on that idea. So I want to just try to uh, clarify on these concepts. The idea of karet, we did give a class on on karet. It was a long time ago, uh, maybe two, three years ago. We gave—I believe it's online on tour anytime. We gave a class on the karet and the different ideas of karet. But just to give a brief uh, understanding on karet, there is um, technically three categories to uh, to karet. Now, anybody, and people are familiar here when I say karet, what that means, right? Not the good stuff. Oh, not cut. Okay, karet um, means to be. Uh, the literal translation will be, let's say, uh, cut off. Um, if someone has a rich papa, or doesn't matter, not a rich papa, and they say those three uh, you know, most horrible words that any human being can ever hear, you're cut off, or you are cut off, uh, is the most shocking thing that a, that a person can even you know, listen to hear a father say. There are certain sins uh, that the, the, tradition, the oral law trad- tradition teaches us that there are 36 sins that a person gets cut off from God. That means you're, you know, like, bye-bye. It's, you know, Gamanu finished. You know, there's nothing to talk about over here. Those are, like, really, 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 really serious uh, sins. And now there's 36 categories. I believe we went through all of them in that uh, previous class. Now, um, just FYI, one of those are uh, do not keep, one who does not keep Shabbat. One of those keep Shabbat is karat. it gets cut off. Now what does it mean to get cut off? So there's three different types of cut off. And this is how the Rabbeinu Baha'i explains it. That one of them means that you get cut off, that you die prematurely. Again, and that is by the way, that's like the... The lightest, you know, of all the three uh, versions, you die early. Uh, not something that anybody would want to bring upon themselves, and uh, especially not for the sins that that you, you know you'll you'll see what they what they are. Now, that's number one. You die you die prematurely. Number two is that your soul gets cut off. What that means, we'll explain that in the, you know in a, in a little bit. But little the, the you know the idea is that when you get into the next world, your soul is 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 a, it's It's finished. There's no more. It's cut off. Number three is the worst, which is the body and the soul. So you die early and your soul gets cut off. So it's either your body gets cut off, or your soul gets cut off, or both of them gets cut off. There's no win-win situation over here. By not keeping Shabbat, what do you mean? Like, completely not keeping Shabbat? Or like, for example, turning on hot water, or like... Not keeping Shabbat means... When I'm saying these sins of karet, these are sins that if somebody violates these sins, does not do tshubah... Uh, does it intentionally and dies like that. That person has, you know, karat. Now, what does that mean? Not, any, any violation of the 39, you know, you know, prohibitions of breaking Shabbat, you're done. That's, it's finished. That's why I, uh, you know, when I, when it it comes to somebody and I'm I'm speaking to them and I find out they don't keep Shabbat, this is what I'm speaking about. And they're like, okay, well, you know, I'm asking questions about the Big Bang. I'm like, who, it's like somebody who's coming in with like a chopped leg off and he's going to the doctor and be like, my head feels kind of funny. The doctor says, shush your face. I'm like, I don't care about your head right now. He says, you're bleeding out from your leg. It doesn't matter anything else and this is why people, I don't know, like, you know, when I speak to people on Shabbat and the importance of Shabbat, they're like, Rabbi Baby Steps. I'm like, Baby Steps is fine but you've been doing Baby Steps like four years. I'm like, you're spiritually disabled. I'm like, what's it, the baby steps that's taking so long? That's You know, there's no baby steps after a certain while. There are people that are trying to go and become more religious, and it's taking them seven years to keep Shabbat. Like, do you understand the importance of Shabbat? Do you understand what the what what it means if you break Shabbat? The punishment that someone gets, it doesn't make any sense. Is it really worth it to you know check your your social media, uh, turn on a light, ha- whatever it is? Is it really worth it to go and ruin it all for that? And now it, it's obviously it doesn't. But what, what happens is there's a lack of knowledge or a lack of belief to understanding the, this importance of it. And that's why I really feel that in, in Judaism, and in fact in anything, the more important you realize something is, the more seriously you take it. But the only way for you to know how important something is is if you study it. And if you don't study it, then there's, nothing, there's no one else to blame other than you. You can't go into, you know, into, into court and saying, well, I never knew that I wasn't supposed to murder anybody. I come from a place where it's kind of okay to do that. So it's not going to fly in court. It doesn't matter. You have to learn the rules of where you are so Rabbeinu goes and says that these are the three categories so again number one body dies young number two soul gets cut off number three body and soul gets cut off now The question is asked, so what happens with these souls? What happens with these souls that get cut off? What does it mean get cut off? So you go into the next world and what, you go to the cut off section? Technically, yeah. But I'm saying like, what does that mean that you're going to that, uh, you know, to that area? So the Rambam Maimonides goes and says that this person, the person who gets cut off in the next world, that means that this person dies like an animal. What does it mean dies like an animal? He has no share in the world to come. There's nothing to do with him in the world, in the world to come. Now, Hamanides, the Ramban, goes on and says that, no, this person, what it means is that he doesn't have, he's not able to enter the next world, but in the resurrection, he will be able to, uh, to be resurrected, obviously speaking that he didn't mess up that as well, because you can mess up that as well, which we'll speak about that, uh, you know, future on, on the series. Fun stuff to look forward to. Okay, so, no, but this is, you know, very, very important things because if you don't know these things, this is the, what we're going to be speaking about today is the foundation of everything. I was thinking, you know, I was trying to do, when, I, when we first, you know, did our, our series about, uh, you know, proving God, proving the Torah, I was trying to figure out, okay, like, what's the next thing that I should do on it? And this is the only thing that, I had a bunch of lists that I wanted to do, but this kept on popping up because if you don't get this, then you're done. There's nothing else to talk about. Like, everything else that I speak about, it makes no difference if you miss up these, these 13 principles. So now, that is losing the share, uh, that is the karet. Now, what does it mean losing the share of the world to come? Says the Rambam, losing the share of the world to come is worse than all of them. Worse than all the karet is losing the share of the world to come. Meaning that if someone loses his share in the world to come, not only does he not be able to go in the world to come, no direction, no nothing, the, uh, you know, the idea is also that he suffers, or she suffers eternal retribution. Um... Again, not something that you want to do, especially for these. These, you know, like uh, I think we spoke about it last. I think we spoke about it last week about the. um, If you want to sin, be smart about it. Um, We spoke about that, right? I have to be very careful when I speak about these things on camera um, because there's no smart sin. There's no, but but I'm saying there is, idiocracy sins. There are sins that are insane that makes absolutely no sense. These sins are insane. They make absolutely no sense. So karet is very very bad. No share in the world to come is that on steroids. So you do not want to mess with these things. You mean sins that punishment is correct are stupid to do? Well, all sins are like that. But sins that are correct are especially, <laughs> yes. Like Santa, are there, so there are sins like a lav. Like you, 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 know, you, you, didn't, you violated a, a negative commandment of the Torah. So something like that, the Rambam explains in Hilchot Shuvah, is that if you do Shuvah, once you do Shuvah, you have Yom Kippur that's, that's atoning for it, then you're clean. Then you're clean from it. And there's different levels of sin. Karet, even after everything, there's, there's still like, there's, you know, the suffering that someone has to go into. Which not, I, keeping karet? not keeping Shabbat is karet. Another I example. Not so easy. What? It's not so easy to just keep you know, Shabbat. I didn't make it up. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, this is very good. This is very good. Because this, you're asking questions that people awesome ask. Questions. It's true. Yeah, it's not easy. You're right. It's hard for people to do that. Okay? thanks for the information you're right I mean there's nothing else. it doesn't change anything I mean it's, it's like you know like but how is that fair? what if you're should you never you know? It's... let's do one question at a time so how is it fear? <laughs> how is it fear that if something is difficult God because if God put it in the Torah that means you're able to do it some people it's Maybe harder you're put into a situation where your parents yell at you and punch you and don't <laughs> hurt you and right you right yeah And then it's very difficult. Even in those situations, it's possible to do it. You have to be smart. I've had these questions asked by me by people, and I explain to them in a very simple manner, and it usually works out very well. I mean, they don't always get back to me, so I don't know if the parents murdered them or anything, but usually it ends very, very well. You have to do things smart. In life, in general, always good advice, do things smart. And especially when you... Everybody's smart, so they're not going to do it You don't have to be smart to do smart. You oh. have to just know somebody smart. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so as long as you know somebody smart, ask them for advice. And um, problem is, if you ask somebody who's smart and arrogant for advice, that's a recipe for disaster. That's you have to be smart to pick somebody smart. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we're gonna go in a circle. But the idea is, you're right. It is difficult. It is, some things are hard. And some things are very hard. And there are tests. And you're, that's why there's tshuva. That's why there's repentance. If you fail, you're able to go and fix it up. But it doesn't give anybody an excuse that they, you know, they don't have to keep Shabbat. Then, there is a tinoch shenishba. There's somebody who never knew that he's Jewish. He's never knew this, never knew that. Okay. You know, first, first and foremost, we are not God and we're not judging. Only God judged. All I could tell you was the rules and the instructions that he gave. But what if, like, you know that there's, like, this thing Shabbat, but you just don't do it because you didn't know it was Kari, so... So that's a lack of knowledge. So the question is, what classifies as karet nowadays It's a whole... I mean, what classifies as a It's a whole class in itself, and there's a lot of rabbis that speak a lot about this idea. What considers... So let's say you live in Brooklyn, and everybody's keeping... You know about Shabbat. If you know, I mean, if you, unless you're... You know, I think from like Kentucky or something. Right. So you never heard about you never heard about Shabbat you never heard about anything. Then God is is not going to punish you. You're like you never knew you're Jewish. You know there are people that are Jews that they never knew that they're Jewish. Their mother married you know somebody and they hid that you know the mother so the mother's Jewish but they're using the last name. M- McDormy and um, and now this McDormy guy has no idea that he's Jewish. You know, he has an Exodus tree, he does New Year's, he does everything but Judaism. He never knew that he's Jewish. God's going to come up to he's kind of God and God's going to be like, "Well, you didn't keep Shabbat." He would be like, what's Shabbat?" He's like, "You're a Jew." But like, "What's a Jew?" Of course God's not going to hold that person responsible. Yeah, well, God put him in that Right, right, right. And again, everybody has a reason and God has a master plan for every single soul. And by the way, you should know that this is not the topic for today even though we're on it for a while. The... um you know, when someone's put into a situation, let's say a non-religious environment, they're meant to be in that non-religious environment. Now, they're not meant to stay in that non-religious environment. They're meant to grow out of that non-religious environment. Not everybody passes all these tests. Not everybody passes the test, unfortunately. But the idea is, is that you have to go and you have to use your brains. It's just the same when you want to go and you want to be successful in life. You're going to think, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. I'm going whatever it is that you think is success. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to you know, whatever it is that you're in your mind that spells success you have a plan that you're going to go to. Women more so than men. It's usually written down in a binder. It's probably very colorful. But it's, it's, you know, it's important. You have to have a plan. Now, just like you have a plan for this world, you for sure should have a plan for the next world. Like, how could somebody not have a plan for eternity? like, you know, like, people are so... I get calls on Shiduchim all the time. I don't know, you know, marrying one person forever in such a long time. I'm like, do you know... Like, first of all, forever, you know, whatever, okay? You know, I know you're healthy and everything, but it's not the show until 120. But uh, um, do you keep Shabbat? Do you keep kosher? Do you know what forever means? Like, if you're so meticulous and so particular on who you're going to get married, then even more so, you should be so particular and so meticulous on all the Torah and mitzvot and masim tovim, everything that you do, because that's going to define who you are forever, for eternity. We don't even begin to understand the importance of that. And we, we, the, the problem is that we go through life with such a blurry vision on life that we completely lose it all. And it's such a shame. It's such a waste. Uh, you know, and this is why you know, like, I don't know why we don't have more rabbis screaming about these things. You know, like, you know, I really don't understand. There should be more. There should be more people, you know, sc- you know speaking about all these things that, that you know, w- what do you do when somebody comes over to you and doesn't keep Shabbat, is, is married, is dating a non-Jew, doing all these things. Fr- when I usually have these conversations with people, I'll have everything that, you know, we need to talk about, whatever it is. But I always try to put in there, like, then you have to realize how much you're messing up right now. And, you know, then, you know, they could say, hey, listen, you're so strict, you're so that, you know, it doesn't offend me. I like, call me strict, call me crazy. I don't care. I'm like, I'm doing what I need to do. You're coming for me for advice. I have an obligation to tell you that you're playing with fire. And if I don't, then you are going to come to me after 120 and be like, I sat with you for an hour and a half. And you never told me once that it was a problem that I didn't keep Shabbat? Like, you know what the obligation that is? And now, okay, so I'm in a different role that you guys are. But you have also the ability, you have people that come over to you and they speak to you. And they don't keep Shabbat and they don't do this. And you talk to them in a sense that, okay, you know, that's nice. So what movie did you see Friday night? Oh, really nice. Which club did you go to? Oh, Baruch Hashem, very nice. I hope you have a tremendously fun time. They're like, no, I hope you have a terrible time when you're sinning against God. What do you mean have a good time? So now I don't I don't wish I don't wish pain on anybody, but you have to people need to wake up. You know, and we don't want to be woken up by the bad. We want to be woken up by only by the good. The good comes from inside. The good thing is is that you guys are here, you're coming to a class, you're coming to a shiutuah to learn about the good, to learn about what you need to do. Now, you know, it's funny because you have people that speak very strictly and, uh, you know, people don't like them too much, it's too strict. I've never heard of somebody go to a doctor and be like, doctor, please sugarcoat it for me. Like, nobody goes into a lawyer's office and say, you know, he has like a bunch of subpoena. he has a bunch of letters from like, you know, FBI, CIA, I don't think it was CIA, whatever, you know, from the government, I'd be like, do me a favor. Please, uh, sugarcoat it for me. No, the guy says, tell me what I'm up against. They want to know, people want to know the truth. Yet when it comes to spirituality, be like, is there like a, somebody who maybe says something a little bit lenient and I could go about it? You know, I'm going to go speak to a different rabbi. I've had people that tell me this. Um, you know, I went to a rabbi and never screamed at lot about Shabbat. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, That guy's not a rabbi. I don't I, you know. I, whatever. I don't want to speak bad about him. I'm like, you know, people go and they shop around. They shop around. You know, you shop around. You know, you get a second opinion from a doctor. You get a second opinion from a rabbi. Is it really that bad not keeping Shabbat? And the rabbi says, "Listen, it is pretty bad, but you're a good person." Right when you hear that, uh, leave. Go find another rabbi. You know, just you know, my uh, you know, my little you know, a device you know for you. Any case. Um, I wanted to do an introduction. I started doing another class, uh, so I want to try to circle back uh, to the topic at hand. Is it clear so far? Right, losing a share to come not a good thing. You don't want to do it. Um, keep Shabbat also. Right, good summary. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> so now the the Rambam and, and the Rambam goes in Hilchot Shabbat in the third pack in the third chapter of Hilchot Shuvah, the sixth halakha, he brings down there are certain categories of people that have no share in the world to come. And these are based majorly off these 13 principles of faith. For example, the, there is something known as a min. A min is, the Rambam explains as a few you know, few different uh, variations of, of a person that can be classified as a min. This min has no share in the world to come. Meaning that, meaning, 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 ah, okay, <laughs> meaning that if he goes and he dies without doing chuba, no share in the world to come. This is somebody who says that there's no such thing as a god. He has no share in the world to come. Somebody who says there is more than one God. There's two gods. Also no share in the world to come. Somebody who says that God has a body, or God is the wasn't the first and isn't the last. There's something else in addition. So God was created. All these people have no share in the world to come. These four things that I mentioned are the are the you know sort of the introduction. Well, it's not really. It's really the, you know, practically speaking, the first four of the 13 principles of faith that the Ramban brings down. So last week we spoke about the first principle of faith. Let's just do a 30 second recap, what that means, the, third, the first, and then we're going to go Shem. Hopefully, hopefully, I want to try to get through the second, third, and fourth today. Go for three. The last time we only got one. Um, people are writing here. Do you mind if I ask if they're writing? Can we do all the questions at the end from online? Is that fine? I'll just tell them. On <laughs> the online people, we'll do the. <laughs> please write your questions and we'll follow. You know what it reminds me? You know, you speak to, like, an older person, they have to scream. <laughs> like, I'm like, why am I speaking any differently? Um, you, you, know, you ever see that? You go to an old person, and it's like, hey, this is a video chat. Do you hear me? On the other side of the world. Like, this works like a phone. Relax, you know, it's okay. Um, so... See, I make jokes in myself, in my head. Okay. Uh, in any case, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, whoever's in the online, what is it called, live stream, whatever it is, you can write your questions and B'lod HaShem will try to answer them afterwards. Okay. Um, made fun of myself, done that, and we're back on track. Okay. So now, what is the first principle of faith? The first principle of faith, okay, we said like this. We said that God is a Boreh. Bo- God is a creator. Um, uh, you know, God is a creator. What does that mean that he's a creator? That he creates yesh me'ayin, something from nothing. Nothing that we, we have, we cannot create s- nothing. Something we cannot create, yeah. We cannot create something from nothing. We can create something from something, but we can't create something from nothing. God created everything from nothing. That is what it means to be a creator. Uh, you know, additionally, this is also very important to put in that we, you know, Judaism rejects the idea of pantheism, that uh, God is the universe. Uh, you know, God is part of the world. God is God is distinct from the universe. God is knows everything that happens in the universe, but God is not the universe, you know, you know, per se. Then we spoke about that God is a manik. Manik means that God supervises everything that happens. Every single thing that happens to you. Every single thing to the smallest thing is supervised by God and is checked off by God like, yeah, I wanted that to happen to you. Yeah, I wanted that to happen to you. And then again, this is a whole topic, I don't know if we spoke about it last week, we spoke about it a previous time, the whole idea of free will and sinning. You know, we're not going to get into that idea, but... Everything that happens to you is from God, and God oversees everything. And finally, the last idea is that God alone is the one that makes and, makes and creates everything. That is the first principle of faith. Okay, now let's go on to, to, to the new top, to the new idea of the second uh, principle of faith. So the second principle of faith goes like this. <speaking in Hebrew> I believe with perfect faith, with perfect emunah, with perfect knowledge. <speaking in Hebrew> that God, <speaking in Hebrew> He is one, and there's no oneness, oneness like <speaking> in <Hebrew> and He alone is our God. He was, He is, and He will be. Now, let's try to explain that. Now, a lot of times, even if you read the English translation on it, uh, you're like, okay, you know, there's like, a, you don't realize how many concepts was just presented in that one line. Uh, this is also, it's, it's unfortunate when. People just use translation. They lose a lot. You lose a lot in translation. So let's try to go and break it down. The you know the idea over here first of all is that God is one. There's only one God. Where's the where's the uh, source for this? The source for this is in Devarim in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. That it says Shema Israel Hashem Elokeinu Hashem We know that God is only one. So the question is asked: Why do we have to reiterate that God is only one? What is so important about the unity, the the singularity of God? Now. When, when we're describing God as a oneness, it's, part of this class, by the way, is getting a little, little bit philosophical, so you have to bear with me a little bit. When you say that something is one, in the physical sense, even something that's one can usually be broken down into many more components of that one. When we're saying that God is one, in a sense that God is a one, unlike anything else that we have is one, that is un, you're not able to break up that oneness. The, the oneness is so unique, it's so uh, it, it's so. One that it's there's only one. Like I, there's no like it's even hard to explain. I have to explain it through explanations, but it's so hard to explain it through translation. The you know the idea is, is like this. The when we said the first principle, it, we said that God in a sense is independent of every, everything. Man is not independent of everything. Man is dependent on God, but God is independent of everything. Number two is that everything that we experience from God is from God. Meaning, you know, you have the, you know, you have pleasure, you have pain, you have sadness, you have joy. You always have opposite different emotions. Everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly is all from God. You have this, um, you know, we tend to think, you know, especially because of the, of the modern media and the way the world works, especially the Christian mentality of things, that, you ever had this? uh You guys seen this cartoon where guys walking down the street and he uh, sees a woman drop a dollar, and then there's like a there's like a red devil with a pitchfork and a tail, you know, standing. I don't know where they got that, but anyways, right? Oh, you know, oh he's wearing horns, right? he's probably bring fire. Um, and he stands on the shoulder. I don't know. Um, and uh, he's like, right, and he's like, pick up the dollar, or well, he probably sounds something like, pick up the dollar, you know demonic voice and um and run away buy yourself a whatever i don't know dress yogurt i don't know whatever you fancy and um well not a dollar because then you're you're shopping in the wrong places but um you see a hundred dollar bill let's change let's change the story a little bit shall we spice things up all right you see an old woman walking down the street with with that walker and she's wheezing out of everything and she has an oxygen tank you know she's also collecting charity she has ripped clothes we're we're building a situation and uh, and then she drops a hundred dollar bill crumpled hundred dollar bill there's a little bit of chocolate on it you think it's chocolate who knows we'll see Um, and you're looking at that hundred dollar bill and be like you know, I just lost $100. This is God giving me back $100. Or I just gave, ch- you know, like, and you're starting to think, and you're walking over there, and then, a, you know, that angel pops up, and he's like, you know, the bad one, and he's like, hey, take that. And you're like, yeah, well, high five, yeah. Um, and then you look weird because you're talking to yourself, and you look at your shoulder. But anyways, so you're going over there, and you go to pick down the, the, the $100 bill, and you pick it up, and you're about to put it in your pocket, and then this annoying other proof comes on your other shoulder. And I don't know—it's someone in a robe or a dress. I don't know, white, you know, with a little halo, whatever it is. The Christians say, right? This is, by the way, this is a Christian story, not a Jewish one. Um, And um, and they're like, yo, you know, like this belongs to the woman. You could, she needs it. Yeah, but I need it too. You know, I upgraded my PlayStation. You know, like, there's stuff I need to do. Um, and, you and then, and then there's like a conversation that goes up. Sometimes, you know, you're just listening to it, but it's these two people arguing against each other. The good one is saying, hey, you have to do the right thing. You have to return it. The other one says, no, no, no. You can't return it. You have to go and you have to keep it. It's yours. It's money. You know how the Satan works. They, start, all of a sudden, everyone's a big tamit Chacham. It's public and you lost it and you didn't know and it's yours and you really could keep it. And probably she doesn't even need it. She probably doesn't want it. She doesn't even like money. Look how she dresses. She probably wants it from me. And and you're going and you're convincing yourself until finally you decide whatever you want to decide. We see, by the, we see this as two distinct forces. There's an evil side and a good side. By the way, while we're speaking about this, you know, this idea, you know how the Satan gets somebody to do, or the devil, whatever you want to call it, uh, gets someone to do something? It's not usually through logical persuasion. You think, okay, listen, you know, you should really go return it to her. You should really. The way that the Satan really gets you is you pick it up and you're contemplating all these things. Now, she walked 50 feet. And you know how the Satan gets you? Be like, okay, you're really late. It's been so far. You can't go. Let's just, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll give it to charity or something. The way that the Satan gets you is not by saying, no, that woman deserves to die of hunger. You know, the way the Satan gets you is like, you know, it's late. We kind of got to go. You know, like, you're about to leave the house. You look in the mirror. You're not so modest. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Be like, it's late. I can't, you know, we'll figure it out tomorrow. You know, or in hell. Whatever it is. Um, (laughs) you know, and you, you go and you, you convince yourself, you push yourself off. You, the Satan, instead of saying do it, don't do it, the Satan really works in a way of like, let's talk about this later. You know, like, let's talk, let's, let's figure this Especially out later, this not right now. Well, this generation, yeah, and every generation also. No. The, this, I feel like, sorry. Even more? Okay. We all procrastinate. It's a problem. Yeah, we are. We are a very procrastinating generation. We're also a generation of instant uh, gratification. Right. Oh, man. And, and I'm, I'm also in that. The, you ever had this? Excuse me. You ever? You ever? <laughs> Okay, you ever have this, um, just being considerate, um, the, you know, yeah, you know how much, like, we're so, you know, enveloped in technology that if you're holding a phone and it freezes for a second, if you, like, if I get frustrated, what I, I put down the phone and be like, whoa, like, I'm just messaging someone from, like, Israel, Africa and, I don't know, whatever other places I'm messaging people from. And and then I'm like, and I'm upset that the, it was a lag of a second. Like, I need a breather right now. Like, I am in a situation. And you realize, like, people get so frustrated. They're like, I don't understand why this is not working instantly. Like, I want everything to stream fast now. And there's a lag. I'm like, you're, like, watching something that's, like, four gigabyte over, you know, your phone, and you're underground, and you get so, we get so frustrated and get upset. Be like, that's it, Verizon. If you're not good, then you're not good. You know, I'm going to go switch to somebody else. And then we call up with that. I paid good money for this service. You know, like, I'm like, we're dealing with magic over here. You know, like, well, not magic, what I'm saying, but like for most people, no, no one knows how these things work. You know, like, it's like, it's, it's like, and, and we get so frustrated on how things are. You know, like, yeah, people, they're driving in a car. And let's say the car is a little bit old, so there's no heat. I'm like, you're driving in a carriage at 60 miles per hour. You know, let's just say thank you for that for a second. We're so, because we need so much instant gratification, because we procrastinate so much, we also lack in our, you know, in our thankfulness. We also gra- lack in our gratefulness, which is also a very, very, uh, you, know, uh, you know, big issue. And I wanted to get through three of these I'm things. Okay. okay, no, 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 it's not it's your not fault. No, it's not, no, no, it's not, a, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's a good, it's, it's good. Happens to be people happen to, you know, it's fine, interesting, make a poll. Would you rather me go on topic or off topic. <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. Okay, back to what we're talking about. Now, when we're saying these two angels, right, these two things, you have a bad angel, you have a good angel, we think, we think because of our Christian, you know, influence, and because, unfortunately, and because of our media influence, we think of two distinct forces. But it's not that that. When we say that God is unique, is God is alone, God is one, that means that both of these come from God. Both the bad and the good come from God. Now, again, God created the Satan. Satan is an angel. God created that. God created that for a purpose. What is the purpose? The purpose is otherwise you don't have free will. You actually you you need to have the Satan in order to make anything make sense. But it was a creation, and everything comes everything comes from God. So when we look at that, we you know we we tend to split up our days. We have the. You could call it the holy part of our days and the non holy part of our days. So, the holy part of the day, so we're coming to Shutwa, we maybe uh, we're praying, we're saying Bracha, uh, we are learning to whatever it is that we're doing, we, we have a holy part of our day, and then we have the non holy part of the day. So, we work, I'm not talking about a sinning part, I'm talking about a non holy part. So, we're working, we're going shopping, we're doing things that we need to do. Those things, if you're realizing God's oneness, then everything is holy. Like, God is with you everywhere, and we're, we're soon going to see, you know, the importance of that. You know the idea of of God being um, there's a terminology that I, that I have to explain. I once gave this class and and I lost a lot of people on this this topic. The idea of absolute God is absolute. Uh, you know, ab- absolute absolute means that God is infinite, unchanging, always remaining exactly the same. Um, I guess more infinite is is a better is a is a better explanation on it. Now. The idea, this principle of the 13 principles of faith is saying that God is unchanging. God is infinite. Now, what is so important about this? Let's say you have a simple guy, not sophisticated, just God does all the mitzvot, but he doesn't understand the depth of it, that God is absolute, that God is infinite, that God is unchanging. He, What does it make a big difference? Like, Why is this so important, this principle, that God is so unique, so well-known, so only one? There's only one in God, and there's nothing else like Him. Now, the, you know if let's say you have a king and this king makes a rule and this king's law um, you know, gets passed and everyone follows it then this king dies and the next king says listen why did this king make this law because x, y, and z if we could remove x, y, and z we could remove the law We could go on, we could change it. Why? Because the king was speaking specifically on his time, on what he was dealing with, and that's all that he knows. But let's say you're dealing with a king that is infinite, a king that knows the past, present, and the future. Now, if he gives you a law... You cannot say, well listen, what was he referring to? He was referring to what it means in this situation, in this scenario, in this particular time. No, no. If a king, if somebody that is unchanging, an infinite, that is absolute, then if God gave you, which is God, if God gave you a law, that means that law is unchanging. Which means is that in order for the Torah to be unchanging, the order, in order for the Torah to be absolute, God needs to be absolute. God needs to be unchanging. Make sense? With me so far? Okay. So now... This is something that we spoke about in our divinity series, the, uh, lecture number eight. Um, we spoke about why do we need religion? Why can't we just be a good person? Because the idea is, and I wanna, I wanna speak a little bit briefly, you know, about it. Uh, you know, the, the idea is, is that when something is unchanging and absolute, we cannot change it. But if something is changeable, we change it. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say you have somebody that, um, there's an elderly, elderly person that's getting, uh, that's getting older and they, um, you know, they're not happy with their life, they want to end it, they want, you know, whatever, you know, there's, there's a bunch of laws that are going out now about it and there's, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about about that in itself. Halakhically, there's nothing really to speak about it, but you know, in the secular world there's a lot to speak about it. The, um, this person goes over to a doctor and he wants to go and he wants to end his life. Now this doctor could say, listen, he could think and he could start saying, listen, I'm doing a chesed. I'm doing kindness. I'm going and I'm helping this person. So he's using, he's, taking his own, he's using his own ethical logic to go and present his own ethical ideas. The same idea when you have something called abortion. Abortion, you have somebody that goes and they say, you know, you're not supposed to kill a person. But it's not a person because it's still, you know, in the, in the womb. And whatever, since they decided that it's not a person, they consider it's not a person and it's not, it's not murder. So what happens is when we have ethics that are relative to whatever we decide, we change reality based on our own whims and our desires. But if we have something that is unchanging, then there's nothing that we'll ever be able to change. Meaning that the only way that the Torah can be unchanging is if God is unchanging. So we see how important and how imperative it is that if somebody doesn't believe that God is infinite, God is unchanging, God is absolute, you miss out on so much because then you think, okay, well, if God's not absolute, then the Torah can also be changed. And that's why you have people that change the Torah. Some people may call them reform. Some people may call them conservative. Other people may call them crazy. But in, in regards to what they say, they change it. Why do they change it? They change it from their lack of understanding of what the 13 principles of faith are. They don't understand that if God gave you something, that does not change, let alone by you, who is a nothing, a nobody. So for sure that, you know, by, you know, you know in any aspect, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't change. The, you know, when somebody goes and when somebody lies to somebody else, that is somebody trying to fool somebody else. When somebody goes and gives excuses, that somebody is lying to themselves. You understand the difference over there? So when you lie to somebody else, you're trying to fool somebody else. When you're giving excuses, you're fooling yourself. Uh, Now, when... You ever heard of this idea that um, God is in specific zip codes? You ever heard that? People go on vacation and be like, okay, yeah, God is not in Miami, God is not in certain areas, God is not in Aruba. In Brooklyn... God. In Israel, that's where God is. But in England, God—you know—but when we go on vacation, you know, God is not here. We have to understand the importance of this—you know, this, this—you uh, know, the absoluteness. In fact, it, it only—if you, know, you look into it, you, you look at uh, Hitler, Maximal that he, you know, could—he was be the one that would be able to prove to us how important this absoluteness, this unchanging manner, is actually. You know, there was a law in Germany that you were not allowed to commit uh, genocide. I always wondered, like, who? Like, yeah, let's put some things in the law, yeah. No mass murder. they are like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. they are like, well, who exactly put that in? But anyways, you're not allowed to commit genocide. Um, the question is, how do they commit genocide then? How do they k- kill six million Jews and, and millions and millions of other human beings? And it's very simply because you're not allowed to kill humans, but a Jew is subhuman. Ah, if a Jew is subhuman, then it's not genocide. So you go and you try to go and you change things around. In the same way if you look at the Torah. If you look at the Torah and say, hey, listen, God said this, but Shabbat, electricity, there was no electricity, there was no be like, oh, hold on a second. God is absolute. If God said that, that means it's forever. Electricity, not electricity, you're not the one to decide. You don't know. If God said you're not allowed to you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this, and that's it. It's period. You cannot go and change it. Once you introduce changing, once you introduce the lack of absoluteness, then everything is changing and you're falling apart. That's how important and imperative this principle actually is. That is why. David in chapter 16, verse 8. It says, I always place God in front of me. Because if you're always placing God in front of you, you will never come to excuses. How can you come to an excuse if God is always there? When do we come to excuses? When we're in our own mind. You're sitting over there, and you have that $100 bill, and you're about to think of that. Now imagine you have a camera crew. Um, that's just following along you because you're special and um, it wasn't paid by your mother and there's a camera crew that's following along and rec- and be like, look how she's like walking into that. And you know this and you see the camera crew um, and you're looking at them and you smile smiling and you pick up the $100 bill. What are you going to do? There's not even a doubt in anybody's mind they're going to go run 7,000 miles to that old woman and be like, hey listen, you dropped this. And be like, oh thank you. So listen, you look like you need more money. And you take out your wallet and then you start giving her money. <laughs> right? You know, you give out her money, you smile at the camera, you do everything. When you see God as, Hashem I mean, you see God always, your life is going to be a different life. Because you know that God is absolute, you know that God is unchanging, you know that God is infinite, and if God is always watching over you, if God is looking at everything, you're living your life in such a different manner that you can't even comprehend, you can't even relate to the manner that you lived it beforehand. That's how important this is. Now, if God is not absolute, if God is not, then, then God is, like, you could call God a mere superhuman. A superhuman God is not absolute you could evade the president very powerful can you evade the president yeah you could many people do you could go and get around with him there is a necessity there is a need that God is absolute God is God is unchanging there is nothing that you can run away from God super supervises everything <clears throat> furthermore the you know when when we say that um, God is oneness you know we say that God has angels God has different methods of bringing information down to the world. Ultimately speaking, it's all from God. There's angels, not angels. We know it says in Agadash Ali Demalach. God didn't save you, not through an angel, not through anything. Only God himself went... By himself, and he saved, and he, and he took out the Jews out of the out of the time out of Egypt. Meaning that ultimately speaking, there's angels, there's everything else. So you think that God, like maybe there's more more than one, like not more than one, but maybe there's like branches, there's like a you know there's sections. There's not everything is from God. Even that God uses angels, like we explained last time, is the idea of a glove versus a stick. God uses angels. That's God putting on a, putting on a glove, but it's all ultimately coming from from God. That is that is number um, that is number two. Okay. Let's go to the third principle of faith. Let's see if we can let's see if we can get what we need to. Okay. This is this is like a challenge for me. Okay. So now, um the third principle of faith. What is the third Good so far? The second principle of faith? Good. Uh, if you said no, I'd have you anyways, wait for afterwards. But, okay. Third principle of faith is like this. I believe with perfect faith, with perfect knowledge, that God is, there's no body. God doesn't have a body. God, he's free from all anthropomorphic, you know, properties. And he has no likeness to this at all. The underlining idea of this is that God, there's no body, there's no form, there's no image of God. Now the ver, the, the source for this is in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 15. Because <laughs> you did not see any image when God spoke to you. The And this, by the way, if somebody goes and puts an image onto God, or thinks of an image onto God, this is somebody who has no share in the world to come. Now obviously if something pops up, and I'm not talking about it, I'm talking about somebody who says, yeah, this is how God looks. Now we'll speak about the idea because you're not supposed to you're not supposed to you relate to God even in any image. And now it's very difficult. It's very when you think about God, some people think of like a light. Some people it's not. It's nothing. And we'll soon let, let's try to explain this because I th- I feel this is very important and this is a very very difficult concept to to, to properly grasp. The when when we say that um, God doesn't have any body, that means that. If God would have a body or anything, that means he would be limited. Because once you have a body, you have matter. Once you have matter, you're limited to time. To, not necessarily time, but you're limited to space. If you're limited to space, you're limited to a certain place. So that means that God couldn't be anywhere. God is not limited to anything or anywhere. So God is not a body, not, not in any sense of any matter. Now, let's say I say an angel. Does an angel have matter? What do you think does an angel have matter? Can you picture an angel? What do you picture when you have an angel? For sure, a Christian concept, right? I don't know, maybe some sort of halo, some wings, you know, maybe doing some sort of, you know, stance to be like, uh, you know, um, or doing something like this, you know, I don't know, whatever it is that they, you know, you go and you picture things. These these are obviously incorrect. Image of an angel. What? Is there a Jewish image of an angel? Uh, there you go. Okay, well, let's not get into the, what I don't want to put, place things into your, into your head, uh, you know. Uh, we spoke about this a little bit about demons. I've been getting questions about that for a long time. So, okay, so, um, The, you know, the idea, when you're looking at an angel, angel is a spiritual being. Now, if you could explain it like this, a, um, something that is material is, is limited to time and space. Something that is spiritual may be limited to time, but not necessarily space. But God, and this, you hear me very clearly, God is not physical, that we understand, but he's also not spiritual. We, we, we just you know you have to really hear what I said God is not physical or spiritual. spiritual spiritual is a creation in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth so the, and the Chazal tell us that in the beginning God created the heavens that means all spiritual realms that's what God created the earth all materialistic realms that's what God created God created spirituality when we say God is spiritual that's wrong God is not spiritual spirituality is a creation No, Torah is also a creation. Everything is a creation. God alone is not something that was created. So we cannot say that God is spirituality. God is not spiritual. Now, we have to ask a question. How come, if God is not spiritual, then how come it didn't say in the 13 principles of faith that God doesn't have any any physical body or a spiritual body? It should have said anything. It said, he doesn't have a goof. He doesn't have a physical body. Why not say the spiritual as well? And the reason is, is because... The consequence of, if God has, if God is physical, then God is limited. If God is spiritual, God necessarily is not limited. You could say God is spiritual, but He knows everything. You, you could, what? Isn't the spiritual or the physical? The yeah, but still, but you could say, you know, the, when we say spirituality, we don't actually understand what we're saying, spirituality. Usually one thing a spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? I don't know. I like talking deep conversations. I know, so I'm like, congratulations. You know, like that doesn't mean... Well, how is that spirituality? How is that being a spiritual person? So we don't understand. When we say we're spiritual, we don't really understand what that means. But um, the idea is that God is not physical and not spiritual. Spirit, the, but the consequence of physical is that God, you can evade God. Because physicality you can evade. You can physicality is limited to space and time, limited at least to space, so you can evade God. Spirituality, if you say God is spiritual, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can evade God. So it doesn't have the severe consequence as if you think that God is physical. But just as a FYI, God is not physical and God is not spiritual. But the main focus of the of the 13 Principles of Faith is, is referring to specifically the physical. This is an extra credit. Extra credit, God is not physical and he's also not, uh, not, uh, not spiritual. Now, the idea is, is that you know, if God is not physical, and God is not spiritual, then what is God? And the answer is, we look at Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Meaning, we can't understand God. We are very limited in our knowledge. Our knowledge can understand what we're able to comprehend based on our physicalities, even based on our spiritualities. But something that's beyond that, it's very difficult to understand. We cannot comprehend what God is. We know that God is but what God is we cannot comprehend that because of our because of our uh, of lack of you know ability to do that. Will we when we die? We in a die sense dead? yes. In a sense yeah but, but hold on that that's a good question. The you know even if somebody says okay I don't understand God but I understand a little bit of God. Like no you don't understand. You don't understand anything about God. Here you maybe only want to say you understand how God relates to this world in the essence of Kabbalah and there's different things of what Kabbalah speaks of maybe if we have time we'll try to speak about that in our later classes but in the simplest of form, we don't know and we cannot understand God, not even the littlest. We know that He exists and we know what He wants of us, but when you try to go and comprehend what God is, that, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, it, you know, there's no ability to it. So now, this lead brings us to a, um, you know, to, to a question. It says, first of all, it says in Bereshit, it says in, in chapter 1, verse 27, it says that God created the human, B'Tselem Elohim, God created humans in the image of God. What does that mean in the image of God? I thought God is not, uh, physical. What does it mean that God created humans in the image of God? So what it means is that, uh, it means is that it's referring to the same attributes as God. Um, we gave an example similar to the idea of free will. God has free will, we have free will. There's, there's ideas that we are similar to God. But in the sense of the way that we look or the, anything like that has no relation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there any Not at all. We can't understand God, but we have the same attributes of God. Just two people are merciful. Do they understand each other? they be like, "Oh, you're mercy, I'm mercy. Pfft. We're like twins." <laughs> uh, the, like so the idea is like we could have the same attributes but we could be completely two different people. You know, you think like, for example, the Nazis had mercy on animals. The Jews had mercy on everybody, on humans, whatever it is, that means that we're the same, we have the same, we, just because we have similar attributes, doesn't mean that we're the same, so we, the, the idea is that we're, even though you're similar, it could be worlds apart, um, okay, now, the Gman Bachot goes, and explains like this, and asks questions, Gman Bachot, page 31b, says, but I don't understand, it says that God speaks, That God walks, the God's arm, the God's strength, the god you know, it speaks of him at these these uh, these corporeal terms, the the ways that these anthropomorphic you know abilities. Why does why does the Torah do that if God is not physical? If God is not spiritual, then why does the Torah speak to us like God is physical and God is spiritual? Answers the Gemara, God because the Torah is speaking in the way that humans understand. It's trying to relate to humans, but not and that's why this is so important. Because you could go through the Torah and take things literally. Says the Rambam, you have to be very careful on this thing, because even if you take things literally, you could be completely misrepresenting it. Just because God has strength and God has an arm, God has an eyes, whatever it is that you think that God has, it doesn't mean that God has that. It means that we're trying to relate and try to understand God, and that's why God wrote it that way in the Torah. Now, now we can understand a little bit of an idea in Exodus in Shemot, chapter 33, verse 8. Moshe Rabbeinu goes over to God and says, show me your glory. God go, Moshe goes to God and says, I want to see your glory. I want, what did, what did Moshe Rabbeinu, I think we may have spoken about this before. What does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu says, show me your glory, show me your, Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, when you see a person's face, that's very distinct. You're able to now take that person out of a lineup. You're able to Comprehend that person as a unique person now. Because you know what that face looks like. And every face is different. Even people that look very similar, there's dif- the differences in their face. And the face is different. Moshe Rabbeinu goes over to God and said, God, and, and he says, I want to see you differently. I want to see your uniqueness. I want to see how you stand out from everything else. What did God answer him? God answered him in, in Exodus chapter 33 verse 20. It says, Kilo Adam the Not possible. Because that person cannot see me and live. A person is not able to see God and live. So then, then uh, you know, God says to Moshe to Rabbeinu in the same chapter, in verse 23, it says, but you'll see my back, and you'll see my back. And Moshe was okay with that. Now, when you're reading this back and forth, it seems very cryptic. What does that mean? And I heard once this, you know, this very very beautiful interpretation, like this. You know, the idea is, is that let's say, you know, Moshe wanted to understand how things world, how things in the world work, and God says, you can't, you can't understand how the things in the world work, but. You can't see me from the front and see how things were, but from the back you would be able to. You ever hear of this concept? Hindsight is twenty-twenty. You ever go and be like, oh yeah, you know, because I did this, because you know, when we're going through the world, we have a lot of questions. Sometimes questions on God. God, how can you do this to me? I am such a good person. I am so amazing. I am so. You know how many times I hear that? I. You know, like I'm literally like one of the best Jews you know around. Like I I do so much for God. How could God do this to me? And then you know, you have questions on God. And God says, you're not able to see me in the face. When things are happening, you're not going to be able to understand it. But once things happen, and you look back, and then you're like, you know what? Like, that happened, and I ended up meeting this person. And I, You know, you ever had that, you know, you play that fun game where be like, you know, how awesome is God? And you'll be like, you start looking back, and you're like, wow. Like, because I was upset of God of like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9... I only then got 10, which was like huge. Like it was all worth it. Like because of that. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. But God says, you're not going to be able to see me in the front, you're not going to, but behind sight, that you'll be able to understand. Sometimes, not always. Uh, depending on your, on your, you know, on your, on your level. So, when the Torah goes and the Torah speaks about God in a physical sense, it doesn't mean physical at all. Now the question is asked, what are you supposed to think about God? When you think about God, you're praying. What are you supposed to think about? What are you supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to think about a throne, you're not supposed to think about a light, you're not supposed to think about you know, this, you know, I don't know, any spiritual uh, being. So there's three options that you could have that you could think about. Option number one is that you think about the Kavanot haHashash, which is a very Kabbalistic, uh, you know, Kavanot. Uh, and I don't, I don't think, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe you guys do know it, I don't know. But you can think about those when you're contemplating, when you're thinking, when you're praying, what are you supposed to You about? thinking about, think about these uh, these Kavanot. Um, if you don't know what they are, then obviously just skip through what I just said. Number, option number two, a little bit simpler, but in the same sense, maybe equally as difficult, you think about nothing. Now, how do you think about nothing? It's very difficult to think about nothing. Uh, this is the Vilni Gaon method. You think about absolutely nothing. When you're talking to God, you can't, which means you're not picturing anything. You cannot picture anything. That's number two. Option number three, if you need to picture something, you picture the name Yudke Vavke, black on white. That's what you're picturing. The name Yudke and Vavke. Yud- the God's name in Hebrew. Which is through the, uh, guess- Yud- and then a hey, and then there comes a vav, and then comes another hey. Oh. Correct. Okay? That is God name. black white. That is God. But in all, in all, in all essence, when we think about God, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be picture anything. Um, Wait, we can't even have... as a power? How do you picture as God as a power? Like white? It gets very difficult. I told you it gets philosophical, and, and I didn't even, I'm, I am i he's a power. He is a power. I'm saying, you're not, you're, there's no image. You're thinking God as all-powerful. God is all-powerful, mighty, awesome, everything, yes. But there's no image that you can put in. So you can think of God as all the powers and all the everything, yeah, but there is no, there's no image. He doesn't have a goof. There's no body, there's no, there's no reality that we can picture. Because we're bound to reality, physicality, we cannot picture something out of that. But when when Moshe did see Hashem's back, didn't he see like talit or something? Okay, there's a different idea. right. There's a different idea He's about the tefillin, about, about right it's, no, that even that you don't picture, right? So what did you see? What? What did you see? Nothing. What I, the way that I the way that I what we need to speak about is yeah what we what we spoke about. Okay, okay we are we're zooming. Okay let's let's okay. let's let's just let's just do it let's just do it. Okay talking myself I don't know why you guys are listening. Okay we're gonna do it gonna go number four. I wasn't sure if I was able to do it. Okay, Boch Oh We'll see Boch Oh, Boch anyways. Okay. And scene. Okay, now, um, the fourth principle of faith. Good so far? Good, okay. Um, the fourth principle of faith. He is first and he is last. That God is first and God is last. Now, uh, the, the source for this is uh, Devarim Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. It says, God who precedes all. What does it mean that God is first and last? This is referring to the eternity of, uh, you know, the eternity of God. Now, human beings, we, we uh, didn't need to exist. Uh, God is existing. Like, there is a very difference. Like, the things that we have in existence didn't need to be here, but God, there's no need or want, there's there's nothing that's it's out of that concept. God exists, period. There's no never existed, will ever exist it's just existed. There's eternity to uh, you know to God. The you know, when we think of, of space, so because we have space we could tell, you know, we could, you know, tell relations and dimensions, for example, there's right, left, up, right, down, there's all these things. And we think, can you picture what it was before space? We can't even comprehend that. What does it mean? No space. We don't. We can't even comprehend no space. But sp- who created space? God created space. Which means beforehand there was no even space. When people try to go and they try to explain, well, I could picture something spirituality. They can't. You ask them this: Can you picture space? If you can, and can you picture no space? You can't, because what does that mean? No space, a vacuum. What does it mean? No vacuum. Sucked in? Like that? That means that there's space. You're getting sucked in. There's a con- there's concepts that we cannot comprehend. Now God, because God, you know, God does not you know uh, what's a good uh um god is not encompassed by god is not involved in space he is space maybe that's a better way to say it. We, one of the names of god is hamakom the space what does it mean cuz god is space there's, there's nothing that that god isn't god is everywhere the the he doesn't uh, here it is he encompasses space rather than space encompassing him okay that's uh, that, so if that went over, I don't want to get too much. We're going to get stuck on this, and I really want to uh, you know, go for it. The, the idea is that you know, let's just leave it at that. Forget about the idea. The idea is that the, um, there's other important factors that I need to that that it, you know I want to get to because of the of the late hour. The um, you know. There is when when you're going to try to investigate a subject, you could be a lawyer or you can be a judge in a manner. Now, what's the difference between a lawyer and a judge? So, a lawyer sees things from his litigant's perspective. He has to defend this, you know, this client. He has to go and whatever he has to do, he sees things from one angle. His client, his client, his client, his client. A judge, on the other hand, sees things from a completely different angle. The judge is judging something and everything can be right. You know, maybe he's right, maybe he's right. They're looking at things from a more an objective, more a, a, a perspective that let's see what the real truth is. So if you really want to search for truth, you have to search for it as a judge, not as a lawyer. The problem is that when many people go and they search for God, they search for God as a lawyer. They search for God. Okay, listen, if uh, you know God can't be over here, they always do the what ifs, oh. What ifs gets me under my skin? You know, I, I speak to people who don't believe God and be like, okay, what if this? I'm like, you're, not a, you're, you're, you're acting as a lawyer, you're not acting as a judge. You want one side to be right. That means you're not looking and you're not searching for the truth. If you want to search for the truth, you have to look at it from a level of a judge. What's this one and what's this one and let's see what's correct. If you're looking at it from a biased perspective of a lawyer, you're already doomed to you know, to fail. That's why I speak to people about evolution. You know, when you speak about it, people about evolution and how they're so involved in it I'm like evolution you know it doesn't there's no support for it it doesn't make any sense and like the, the reality goes against evolution yet you're believing it with it with such faith evolution by the way is a religion I, I strongly feel evolution is a religion it's a very very strong religion um, that people believe it without any having to you know any any, any, any strong foundation to it um and you have something, you know, like, like if you're looking at something and you're looking at something from a lawyer, if you're trying to defend evolution, then you're going to defend it because that's all you want to do. Then you're not going to see the, the right side. But if you're looking at it from a perspective of a judge, then you can say, listen, what makes more sense over here? What's more likelihood? You're not biased and you're not trying to affect anything over here. You look at it from the right perspective. When we look at the, the nature of a munah, This emunah in the simplest form. If you go and you search for emunah like a judge, you'll find it very easily. If you search for God like you search like a judge, you'll find it like this. If you search for God as a lawyer, listen. Nobody can convince convince you something you don't want to be. You don't want to listen to. There are people that are just not interested. And there's, there's not much that you can do because no matter what you say, they're not going to change. They're, they don't want to change. You cannot twist a person's arm to believing something. Only that person. What you could do is, is to try to convince that person at least be intellectually honest. At least be honest with yourself. At least look at the truth of what it is. The Pasukim Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse uh, 7 through verse 8. It says regarding a worshipping idols. It says, Let us go and worship other gods. And then the pasuk in the next pasuk says, "God's near you and God's far from you, or God's far from you." It Says the Gemara Hijin, page sixty one b, and it, it says like this: it "says Why does it say the gods of near you and the gods are far from you? What is the difference? God's near you, or God's far from you." The you know when the Torah speaks about when, when somebody comes to you and tells you about an idol. Now no one's interested in like Christianity because we all know it's fake, and uh, no one's interested about anything else. But let's say someone comes to you: "Hey, listen, there's a guy." in, you know, some far east, you know, mountain. And he sits over there, and he's a magic man. He's able to produce things. He's able to do things. They do things like no one's ever done, you know, in some Thailand, some mountain, like crazy place. And uh, you're going to be like, really? Wow, maybe there is something to it. Maybe there is something. When somebody goes and tries to convince you on idol worship, they don't try to convince you on the local idol worship, because you know that's all false. They try to convince you of something that's far. Something that's very, very far out that you don't know, you never heard of before. It says the Torah, says, don't be fooled by this. The idols near and the idols far are exactly the same. Just like the ones over here are false, so do the ones over there are false. There's nothing, there's no truth, there's no truth to it. When, when, uh, you know, the, the olden day idolatry, what was the purpose of idolatry in the olden day? To get you what you wanted. So people would, let's say, want to commit, you know, certain pleasures. So the idol said that they have to do it. So what could they do? You know, I'm sorry, you know, I, I need to do it. The idol said you need to kill, you need to sacrifice for it. I would love not to kill people, but what can I do? I have to follow the laws. So they, it's a way of using, of easing your conscience and doing what you want evolution is exactly the same way what is evolution? there's no such thing as God because God didn't need to create the world create, the world created by itself the, w- what we're trying to do is, w- is, by evolution is trying to go and saying that there's no God we're trying to free up our conscience and doing whatever we want just like idolatry so we look at idolatry nowadays Says evolution is an idolatry nowadays in the older days it used to be different idolatry Today's evolution why? because you're going over here and you're trying to say hey listen everything happened by God everything happened by God there is no God if there's no God I can do whatever I want same exact formula as last, evolu- as last idolatry oh there is a, this idol she says I need to do this I need to do this and that's why I want to do it who said that idol she to do it the person who wrote it down the person who had the temptation had the thought about to do this he writes okay we need to do this this and this and then he puts it in the you know when you're going and when you're looking to search for God and understand God very very important to do, to do something as a to do something as a judge and not as a and not as a uh, a lawyer there was um, to try to understand this concept Wendell, for the, with a short story there was once a wealthy uh, Polish um, no, nobleman who had a son. Now this son was going to go and he was going to go into and join the, um, you know, the priesthood. He was going to go and become a priest. And he went to study, you know, you know the covenant whatever. He went to study to become a priest. And all his searches eventually led him to actually converting to Judaism. Now, obviously, you can't just say, hey, listen, you know, I saw everything over here. Back then, you know, in the 1700s, you can't say, hey, listen, I saw everything and I wanted to be Jewish and be like, okay, you know, enjoy, we love you anyways. You know, what can we do? No, no, no. He went and he had to escape. He ran away from his life, from, from everything that he had because he realized that Judaism was only the true, the, 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 only the truth. So, he was able to evade, once, once his family found out and the, and the Christian government found, the, the church found out, they started, you know, sending search warrants everywhere for him. He was able to evade them for many years until finally they captured him. And uh, once they captured him, they tried to persuade everything—the mother, the father. Hey, listen, come back to you know, you know, Christianity. You understand? They're going to put you on trial, and if they put you on trial, you're going to get killed for this. You know, this heresy. This, you know, the leaving your religion. You cannot do it. And the son, you know, said, "Listen, what can I tell you?" He says, "This is the truth. I'm not. I'm not leaving from the truth. And no matter as much as they decided, he wasn't bending from the truth. So they had no other choice but to put him on trial. And they put him on trial. Now, needless to say, if anybody studies history, especially in the Christian war, Christian history, the the trials weren't a trial. I'd be like, okay, what do you say? Hmm, interesting point. No, it wasn't like that. The trial was one biased way, and this is how it's going to end. But let us appear to be civilized. And let us appear to be, you know, uh, go and, and show that we are, you know, very humane, and and you know, and we want to see your side." the same thing in the Spanish Inquisition. You look at all these ideas. There was no fear hearing in these things. Um, the Jews were brutally murdered and tortured, especially anybody else who wasn't going following the Christian way of, uh, of life. So the, he, was, you know, he was put into trial, whatever fake trial it was, and he was sentenced to death. Now, while he was in prison right before he was going to be, uh, you know, finish, you know, his uh, his death sentence, he uh, one of the priests, uh, the, uh, you know, goes over to him and says, "Listen, he says I want to ask you for forgiveness." He says he was on the, you know, he was on the the ruling side and he says, "I want to tell you, he says the, the this this court case was over before it began. There's nothing that I could have said. There's nothing that I could have done to save you. But I still feel bad and I want to ask you for forgiveness. I feel very bad. Please forgive me." Cuz if I could have done anything, I would have done something. So this uh, this convert this Geltzad that goes and he says in a very calm voice and he says uh, he says you know when I when I was five years old he says uh, you know my father was extremely extremely wealthy he still is extremely wealthy a very big nobleman and and I built a tremendous castle out of sand it took me forever to build it this huge ca- it was sections of this castle and one of my father's advisors were walking past by this castle didn't see it and he just knocked over a whole northern section of my castle. And I got so angry at the, I was, he says, I was five years old. He says, I got so angry at this guy that I wanted to destroy this person. And he says, I knew that I was the, you know, my father, I was the favorite of my father. And if I wanted to, I could have watched this guy rebuild my whole castle. I could have made him do that. Five year old. And, um, and he says, he says, you know what? Even if I wanted to, I could have had him fired for that. And I would have got him fired for that. And he said, but I was very angry. He says, I didn't want to go to my father for that. He says, I wanted to get true revenge. He says, I waited, I'm going to wait till I am fully in power of my father's possession, and then I'm going to take full revenge on this guy for destroying my castle. And says this, this, this tzaddik says this convert to this, you know, to this priest, and says, by the way, that was a long time ago. I was five years old, and I still remember it vividly. He says, but now that I'm older, and I'm more mature, and I'm thinking, am I really going to go and punish this person over a sandcastle? What's a sandcastle? It's nothing. It's a joke. It's a sandcastle. Now, but it still remained with me. It still bothers me to this day, like, what he did. But I realize how infinitely small that I what is a sandcastle who cares about the sandcastle he says he goes over to this priest and he says I'm about to leave this world and he says putting things into perspective he says this world is an imaginary sandcastle alright you know you can do this you can do that like I know when I get into the next world everything is going to become clear that all this is nonsense he says you think I have time to have anger towards you because of what you did, you think I have time to harbor hatred towards you because of what you did? This world means so nothing. This world is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing compared to the next world. It doesn't even matter. He says it. Does, everything doesn't matter. You have to put things in perspective. You know, when we look at life, you know, every decision that we make in our life makes such an impact, not only on us, but on all our people surrounding, and also all our children surrounding. You know how many classes that were created that I have. I've been involved in me myself personally that were created because one person decided to create a class and he changed the life or she changed the life of 30 people around them 40 people around them and not only there and also their children and the children's life we have the ability to change so much but in this world nothing matters but it's, you're changing for the next world every action that you do if you decide to keep Shabbat 100% You're not changing only the Shabbat. You're changing infinite worlds in the next world. This world means nothing. If you're changing the way that you live your life, you're changing not only you because other people see you, your friends see you. You know, there are people that have become religious because their friends have become religious. There are people that, you know, became closer to God because they've seen that when a person comes closer to God, it becomes a better person. There You change so much, but this world doesn't matter. It's the next world that matters. And every change that you do in this world makes an infinite amount of change in the next world. When we're going, you know, the way that we raise our kids... The ways You put your kid in front of the TV, you put a kid in front of a movie, and this is how you put them in front. You say, okay, listen, it's Sunday, let's go to the movies, let's do this. And you think, okay, it's a PG movie. But you're presenting an idea that's going to change this kid forever. This kid is going to be like, okay, it's a PG movie, but I can watch it now. When I get older, 13, PG, 13. When I get older, that's an R. It's a lifestyle that you're showing and you're guiding the people. We don't realize that our effects affect not only us, but affect everybody else around us. times more than, you know, our children. The crazy thing is, is that we have to understand that this world is nothing, but the next world is everything. And everything we do in this world goes and just shows us what we're going to have in the next world. The craziest idea, the craziest idea is somebody going and not thinking about this. And not putting this into perspective and thinking about what's going to be with me in the next world. You're here for what, 120 years? What's going to be with it? These 13 principles of faith are so fundamental to Judaism that if you mess these up, you're messing up your whole next world. Your whole next world is done. There's nothing to talk about. But even more so, when we could take that one step later, one step at, you know above and beyond that, is that everything that you do in this world is going to affect your next world. Obviously to a lesser extent than these 13 principles of faith, but at the same point in time, it's going to affect where you stand for infinity. You know what that means forever? I don't think we understand what forever is. Somebody who's picky... On deciding what shoes to buy, what phone to buy, what anything to buy, think about what that means that you're going to be in the same situation forever. Like, we can't even, you can't even comprehend it. Okay, let's do all the questions. Questions online. What do we had, we had a list of stuff. Uh, someone said, what was the question? Didn't you write that? Oh, the, oh. I think she said, um, if, can't you still be a good person without keeping, chita? without keeping stuff?" No oh my gosh next question no No. actually it's a good I mean it's a good question question is like this question is can you be a good person without keeping Shabbat yeah but you're not going to be the best person no you're well who are you a good person to Oh my God. Define. So, define what it means. Yeah, you're a good person yourself. Hitler thought he was a good person. You could be a good person and not keep Shabbat and murder people also for the good purpose. You could be a good person and just do all the things right except what's not keep Shabbat. Not right, so then you're good according to you. If you want to know what's good according to the absoluteness of it, no, you're not good. That's if some, well, if somebody goes and doesn't keep Shabbat and they think that they're a good person, they're a good person in their own standard. And Chazak Poha, I hope you're happy. What? Maybe, well, Maybe not enough. In their own standard? In God's standard, it's very simple. Not enough. Well, yeah, not enough is a good yeah. But if you want to be good, you have to be good according to the one who defines good. If you want, it's like say. It, like of, course level, of course, there's levels. Of course, 100. percent You're right. There's levels. It's like someone comes over to the government, walks into the precinct, the you know police precinct. And says, hey, listen, it's very hard for me. Uh, what is it called? The kleptomaniac when you steal things? <laughs> I haven't stole things in a year. I just stole my first iPod in like six years. I'm considered amazing, right? <laughs> I like, got amazing. And be like, can you come here for a second? Just dip your finger in this ink over here and put things over here. We need to do something you know with you. We're gonna book you. I don't understand I'm such a good person. I you know, like I'm giving this to the poor people uh, that need iPhones. I'm giving the I am such a good person. Like what do you mean good? It's like good isn't relative to what you think. Like you think you're a good citizen. Why? Because you think you follow the laws. But let's say someone comes and does an audit on you, and you're not following all the laws. In your mind, you're still a good person. So are you a good person? Are you not a good person? It depends on who you're looking to. If you're considering yourself, if you're judging yourself... Who are we to judge ourselves? Do you think you're, you're enough to judge yourself, I'm a good person? If you want to judge yourself for honestly and truth, there's only one way to judge it, and that's with the Torah. You want to be a good person, you keep the Torah. You don't want to be a good person, you don't keep the Torah. It's a simple, if there's no, obviously there's levels, for sure there's levels. Somebody that can't keep all this, and has to do that, and has to take things slowly, fine. Speak to me privately in whatever, you know, the situation it is, or speak to any rabbi privately in whatever the situation is. But, if you want to know this straight up, clear cut answer, you want to be a good person, You listen to God who told you what it means to be good. You don't want to be a good person and you want to convince yourself to be a good person, then you're making excuses for yourself. If you're making excuses for yourself, nobody can help you. Because you'll always think that you're good. And as harsh as this sounds, I'm not sorry because this is the truth. This is the hard truth and you need to know this. People need to understand this. That if somebody, and it doesn't only go on Shabbat, anything that you're violating of the Torah, you are going against the Torah. You're going against God. Whatever the situation is, you don't like it, there's nothing that I can do. I didn't write it. You know, this is what the Torah is and this is how it is. It's very simple. At, at one hand, it's very difficult. But the other hand, it's very reassuring. It's very reassuring. We'll speak about this concept more in depth when we speak about reward and punishment. But the idea has to be very, very clear. If you think that you're a good person and you don't listen to God, you're judging yourself based on your own circumstances. And if you're judging yourself, then I'm not, God forbid, ever comparing you to Hitler. God forbid, and I even I have to say that in between. But Hitler thought he was a good person also. And you think you're a good person. Obviously, two billion worlds apart. But the concept remains the same. The concept means that you're judging yourself. If you're judging yourself from an abstract, not an absolute place, then who are you to decide? Nobody really is a good person. Okay, so is anybody perfect. actually a good person? No. Oh, excellent question. So uh, can't anybody be a good person? How can anybody be perfect? Excellent, excellent point. And the answer is we have to do what we what we what we can. We have to try. And we will mess up. It's human nature that we will mess up. We will fall down. But that is what Chuvai is there for. When we fall down, we get up and we get back up again. If we keep on falling, then we keep on getting back up again. Just because you did a bunch of sins in your past and you're doing Shuvah, that means that you're a good person because you're following your right path. Okay, we're, it's always a struggle. Life is a struggle. Life is not always easy. Life, You have the difficulties between up and down, up and down. You're trying hard. You're trying. You're falling. You're trying. You're falling. That doesn't mean that you're not a good person. You're trying. That is the important part of it. So, rabbis have different interpretations about what's okay on Shabbat. If I follow what my rabbi says, but another says it's wrong, am I held accountable? it's okay. oh, a hard question to ask. So questions like this for Evernitza. If, let's say, there, there are different interpretations of... Uh, first of all, it's a very vague question. It's a very difficult one. It's, it's an excellent question. Very hard to want to answer. The question is like this. Let's say somebody goes over to one rabbi and he says, am I allowed to do this on Shabbat? And the rabbi says, no. And then he goes to another rabbi and says, am I allowed to do this Shabbat? And the rabbi says, yes. Now, there are certain things that one can be more lenient than others. And that's why, in general, the, the, the rule of the thumb is, is that you don't shop around. You have your rabbi... And you deal with your rabbi. You ask the, you have your halachic rabbi that you ask all your halachic questions to. Whatever he says, whatever, you know, you goes. This way you're not chopping around. Yes, there's always, there's always like, these are minor instances. There's not like, okay, my right, if one rabbi says you can't drive a bunch about and one rabbi says you could drive a bunch about, One rabbi is not a rabbi, and one rabbi is a rabbi. So there's no two things. But if there's something that's a very minute, different, you know, know, idea, can you do this, can you do that? I don't want to give examples because I don't want to open a wormhole. I have a few examples in my head, but I don't want to, I'm specifically not saying any particular examples. But something that there is leniency that you can go. So, this is something that you have to go according to your own rabbi. Because your rabbi knows your level, knows your ability to do it. If you need a leniency on certain times, the rabbi that you know will be able to say, okay, listen, if you need it on certain times, you need it over here. And again, these situations are not common. These are very rare situations. Majority of things, there's no, like, leniencies back. Everything is, you know, black and white. There are minor things that are, you know, that there are leniencies that you can use or you shouldn't use, uh, depending on the extenuating circumstances or not. So those things, um, that you have to, it's better not to shop around. To, you know, it's, it, you're not supposed to shop around. But um, if you do need a leniency, you speak to your rabbi with all honesty and say, listen, I'm in this particular situation. This rabbi said this. Um, can we go according to this rabbi? You know, can we go according to this, this idea? I need this for whatever, X, Y, and Z. And, and there are so many examples I could give, you know, but I don't want to give for, you know, for a very obvious reason. Yeah. So is it possible to keep every single halacha? Is it possible? Do rabbis keep every single halacha? No, it's not possible because not everything is catered to you in specific. Well, okay, no, no. no. Mean, you are, be. you have the ability to keep everything, but you also very likely will mess up. And then you do chuba and then it counts as if you did, if you did real chuba it counts as if you did everything. See, we, we tend to see it as very, very scary. Like, okay, it's all or nothing. It's not. You could do, you mess up, you do chuba. Are we expected to be keeping everything? We are expected to do everything because that's what it was given. But we are God knows that we're human, and God knows that we have the ability to fall. And because of that, there was an institution. The, the, this was the tshuva was instituted that you're gonna fall. Um, you know, even a righteous person messes up. Even a righteous person, you know, at uh, tzaddik falls seven times and gets up. What does that mean? They falls. You know, even a righteous person is able to fall down. But the idea is, what does a righteous person? He gets right back up, or she gets right back up. You will fall down. Now. You know, if you don't chazak boch until 120, you're not gonna be, but likelihood of the situation is that you're trying to try to be a good Jew and you're going to mess up, and that's not okay. You're not supposed to be messing up, but you can fix it. You just get back up again. It's like you're falling. You're running. You're running in a race. And you fall down and be like, okay, the race is not over. You just get up and you start running again. So you have to do is you mess up, you have to just stand up and you have to run again. The tshuva process is a fairly simple tshuva process. I mean, the simple of tshuva is not so crazy. It's like number one, stop doing the sin, obviously. Number two, regret it. Number three, confess, you know, to God. That's it. So you're stopping to do the sin, you're regretting and you're confessing it. That's the bulk of the tshuva. Like that's it that you need to do. It's not like it's like you know, like obviously there's tikkunim and there's different things that you need to do for different. But I'm not talking at the kabbalistic level. Basic, simple level, you mess up a very simple method. Just get back up again. That's it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.